Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Spuds, this is Jerry Casali from Devo, and I just want to remind you that the evolution is real, and now you're listening to the Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Mark with a C. Hi, I'm Jonna. And with us is special guest host, Professor Shy Guy. Hello. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the visual side of Weird Al, and we're going to be talking with Weird Al himself, as well as Al's manager and director of UHF, Jay Levy, because this year is the 25th anniversary of Weird Al's feature debut, UHF. An absolute comedic classic. This thing tested off the charts when it was first screened. Unfortunately, it tested so high that they went, oh, we can totally open this up against Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And And Tim Burton's Batman. (laughs) And that didn't go so well, and that's why there was never a sequel, which, uh, you know, I'd always hoped there would be. Because uh, that's one addicting comedy flick with so much going on, so many pop culture references that are still quotable today. I know for a fact that it's shaped the comedic mindset of many, if not everyone, on the Nerdy Show Network and certainly everybody on this podcast. Yeah, I literally had a VHS of UHF and I literally wore it out like... I couldn't watch the ending because the tape was so screwed up for me and my friend Jared watching it over and over and over again. That's beautiful. I didn't grow up with cable television, so Weird Al's music videos were something that I discovered much later when I was able to like get a hold of them, like buy them myself. And UHF was a thing I learned about on the internet, which became quite coveted because by that time it had already gone long out of print. My Blockbuster had it, and I rented it a ton. I think when the DVD came out was my first time, so I was probably about 14. I loved it. I pretty much love all the video stuff he's ever done. This TV show is so good. You know how I first saw UHF? It was a family outing. Uh We're talking grandma and grandpa, my mother Uh and me. They went, Mark, you choose the movie. (laughs) So it was that major blockbuster weekend, and I went, well, clearly it's UHF. And everyone in that theater is hating life except me, and I loved it so much that... We saw it three more times. And then (laughs) at the drive-in when it went out of first run and then second run cinemas, I saw UHF at a drive-in. I want to say it was on a double bill with Mannequin 2 on the move, but don't quote me on that. It may have been Weekend at Bernie's 2. It was a sequel to something. Wow. 
I mean, the movie didn't do well in theaters, but you tried, damn it. You tried real hard. <laughs> I was the reason it came close to breaking even. <laughs> you know, it has, it has a pretty storied rise and fall. It was released via Orion Pictures, and they, for some reason, backed it as though it was like another RoboCop. That bit them in the ass real hard. The film notoriously bombed and then became the cult film that it deserved to be because not only is Weird Al's humor and Jay Levy's visual comedy so sharp, it's just become, you know, one of the ultimate cult classics of the era. We're going to be talking about UHF. We're going to be talking about his music videos a little bit. We actually, earlier this year, when Al's record Mandatory Fun came out, we also interviewed him. We talk extensively in that episode about his music videos. So I would recommend checking out that episode as well if you haven't heard it. And we'll link to it on this episode's page. We're doing all this because not only is it its 25th anniversary, it's coming out on Blu-ray this week. That's awesome. We're going to be talking about The Weird Al Show, his late 90s children's program, and uh, something that's coming out on DVD for the first time in any non-Laserdisc digital format, The Complete Al, which is a mockumentary about Al's life made in the mid-80s. Which I had no idea existed. I knew it existed, but I've never had a, an opportunity to watch no it, so I'm idea. really excited about that. Me too. I had no idea. It was like Spinal Tap for kids in a way. Like, um, <laughs> I want it in my life. It was this week, man. More parodying like the MTV rockumentaries that you would see at the time where they were telling an artist's entire life story, except pretty much none of this happened. And uh, they, they get up through his debut album, his second record in 3D. And they start talking about how right around the Dare to be Stupid era, Weird Al decided to drop the comedic facade. And he wanted to get serious and make an album that really mattered. Sort of like Brian Wilson's Never Completed Smile. It was like his teenage love letter to God. It was an album called Me, Myself, and I. And they played a couple seconds of it and they showed some footage of Al turning a new leaf on stage where he was setting fire to his accordion like Jimi Hendrix at Monterey Pop. <laughs> and unfortunately, the tapes were erased when he put them through a metal detector at an airport. And that's it. They never talk about Me, Myself, and I again. So it takes you, I think, up to Polka Party, and that's where it cuts off. Just prior to Polka Party, let me be I Dare to be Stupid. It's basically the production of the Dare to be Stupid album, and as you'll hear in the interview, they actually used the film's budget as a way to get a lot of those videos made. And thank God they did. I love the One More Minute video. <laughs> that's where all the budget went, was in One More Minute. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be unfair to ask everyone what their favorite UHF joke is? I do love whenever uh, one of Cooney's students punches through the wall and he's, he's like, what time is it? And he punches through the wall and he looks at his, uh, <laughs> his watch there. Ah, oh, there's too many. The joke that I use most often in day-to-day -day life and laugh to myself about the most is uh, the supplies joke. Of course. Yeah, I, I <laughs> that one crossed my mind. I use that a lot myself. I like when Michael Richards is tied up. He's like, I'm thinking of something blue. Something blue. Because <laughs> he's wearing the blue cover on his eyes. <laughs> I'd have to say, it for me, it's a toss-up between um, one of the affiliate employees walking in and R.J. Fletcher saying, take that ridiculous thing off. <laughs> and you think they're alluding to the, the hat that he's wearing, and instead he just removes his the mustache. <laughs> and uh, I, would, I, I would have to go also with the supplies joke. You know, that's, that's probably the best joke in the entire movie because of its pardon the pun, supplies element. It's, it's a totally culturally insensitive movie in a lot of ways, but in the most harmless way imaginable. <laughs> That's the 80s. We didn't care. I love care. supplies. 
And I love Wheel of Fish. Just the way Cooney delivers <laughs> the line. I just, I love it so much. Stupid! We're going to talk extensively about all this stuff, but I think it might be good to hear about the projects from Al and Jay Levy, get a little bit of a taste for what's to come, what features are on these two releases, and uh, sort of set the bar for where we take the conversation next, talking about uh, Weird Al Show and more about the Complete Al and so on. With me on the line is Jay Levy, director of UHF, the Complete Al, and many of Al's most famous videos. Hey, Cap. And also, the man himself, Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Guys, on behalf of an entire generation of weirdos who were inspired by UHF and the videos you made together, I'd like to say thanks. <laughs> You're very welcome. In the narrative of you guys' career, you know, it starts with the videos, turns into complete Al, and then, you know, ups the ante to UHF. With you guys working in tandem, what was your creative process like? In the very beginning, we were both new to it, but the feeling was that the most amount of control that we could maintain over what we were doing would get us the best results, primarily because it's comedy. I mean, that was a very early time for the genre of music videos. But nonetheless, you know, the idea was it's comedy, it's very special, you got to get it just right. So even though neither of us really had created uh, music videos before, of course, we did feel that we wanted to try and maintain control over it. So I just sort of, I guess, kind of naturally fell into the role of director. Al can speak more to it, but basically he would, um, as he is today in full force as director and everything else he does, but in the beginning, essentially, he would write everything out, you know, conceptualize everything and come up with the boards. We'd make sure that we could afford everything that um, was in the boards to be done. And actually, offhand, I don't think that there were, we, we ever really needed to compromise much on anything. And it was my job, essentially, to faithfully execute that vision, you know. So I did that for quite a number of years. And it wasn't really too long after which I was started to prod Al along, saying, you know, you might want to start considering directing these yourself. And for a while, he was, I guess, preferred to keep me in that role primarily because he wasn't all that anxious to take on the part of the role as a director that sort of calls on you to be the army general, if you will. There's that aspect of the role that he didn't at first really want much part of, and and realizing, though, that a director really needs to do that, he would sort of continue to defer to me over the years until finally one day he said, you know what, I'm ready to be an army general as well as the creator as well, and then he took over. That about sum it up, Al? <laughs> that, that's pretty much it, yeah. I mean, the idea of taking a lot of production meetings and, and being the guy that everybody comes to, like, what, what color do we paint this wall? It just seemed like a lot of stress. And uh, I felt that as long as I was driving the train creatively, that was all I really needed. I just wanted to have my ideas become reality. I, I didn't care how that happened. But it turned out that it, over the years, I realized it was more efficient for me to just be the guy <laughs> telling people what color to paint the wall. <laughs> Moving from music videos, which became you know, increasingly more elaborate, what led to the creation of the Complete Al documentary? Well, what came out in 85, did we start, when did we start the 84? Something like that. That was you and, and, and Hamilton and, and Bob Weiss. Yeah, I mean, basically the genesis of that, uh, I guess, was with the success of the early videos and Al's quick blossom as an artist, visually, as well as on all levels, of course. We were approached 
by CBS Home Video to do a project, essentially. They just approached us and said, you know, hey, we'd love for you guys to do a long-form kind of a thing. Uh, what do you, you know, do you have anything in mind you might like to do? And we came up with the notion of the complete Al, you know, spelled C-O-M-P-L-E-A-T as a direct parody of the complete Beatles project that yeah. had come out. And um, so that was the idea, and was to essentially do a, um, a mockumentary, if you will. So, I mean, essentially what the complete Al ended up as is what, you know, the original idea was for it. And so that, that was the genesis of it. In the project, I had a partner in our management company who was the previous head of current programming at NBC. We'd been old friends, and together we got into managing. And his name was Hamilton Cloud, and Hamilton co-produced. And another buddy of mine early on, uh, Robert K. Weiss, affectionately known as Bob. He was a producer, and he, he produced um, Kentucky Fried Movie. A lot of stuff for the Zucker Brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Blues Brothers and the Blues Brothers got. movie, yeah. So we um, partnered up on that, and that's how that happened. You and Bob created the Dare to be Stupid video together as well, which is, much like the song, surpassed even the heights of, of Devo's insanity with one of the most uh, lavishly produced, wacky music videos of the entire generation. Well, well you, you and Bob uh, directed the whole thing together, So, and the, the music videos were just part of the production. I mean, the, the music videos were folded into the production of the, uh, of the long form. Exactly. Oh, so you were producing all of them simultaneously? There were some videos that had already been made, but there were a handful of videos which were folded into the production budget for the, the long form. That included uh, One More Minute and Dare to be Stupid. Was there anything else? Well, we, we'd already done Surgeon, right? Oh, like a surgeon. No, 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 we had not. Was that part of it as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess all the music videos for the Dead Stupid album That's were right. folded into the budget of the long-form video, which I guess was one of the ways we were able to make that all happen. Oh, yeah, wow. we were, you know, part of our process has always been to try to be inventive and clever as best we can in terms of the funding of music videos, because since um, so much a portion of the funding always ultimately gets charged back to the artist anyway. Mm. And so the timing on that worked out, um, you know, we, we've done that sort of famously over the years, most recently, of course, but um, not so famously, but, as, but just as effective was when we did that complete <laughs> album, because the timing was leading into the creating of the new album, Dare to be Stupid, and, and there needed to be videos done for that, so we were able to, as Al said, fold everything in. So from there, what led to you guys deciding, no, we want to make a feature? It just seems like sort of a natural uh, direction. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd done the music videos, and they, they'd been, you know, getting a lot of uh, acclaim and popularity. And <laughs> as managers would want to do, Jay suggested, well, <laughs> let's do a feature now. And we sat around. We knocked out the idea for, uh, for UHF, and uh, it was a long road. I mean, it was a long time writing it, and then it was a long time selling it. I mean, we'd given up two or three times, <laughs> I think, before we actually found... Um, some producers that wanted to, to actually make the movie. I think we wrote the bulk of it in 1985, and we weren't on a set until the summer of 88. Wow. Did the film change directions during that period when you were shopping it around? When we first came up with the idea of a Money for Nothing parody, I mean, that was a very current <laughs> uh, music video. And then when it came out in UHF, the, that was like three or four years old. But we felt it was still iconic enough that people would be able to appreciate it. Certainly there were some more current topical references that we inserted in some movie after we knew that the picture had been greenlit. But, I mean, I, I think the basic um, story, certainly, and most of the gags 
or from the original script. I can't think of anything else that it changed. I, I know that, that Jay wrote the whole uh, um, uh, Geraldo <laughs> bit with uh, uh, Town Talk <laughs> with George Newman. That was sort of a, uh, an 11th hour addition to the script just to give it a little bit more topicality. What steps do you guys go through assembling the cast? We had a, a casting director named Kathy Henderson who was amazing. She put a lot of people in front of us that we wouldn't have normally considered, I think. Um, we love Tony Geary, but I don't think either Jay or I would have thought immediately, oh, he's our Philo, because at that time he was, you know, known as Luke from General Hospital, and we kind of <laughs> thought that was an odd thing for us to be considering. But during uh, the casting, he just knocked it out of the park, and we thought, this, this guy's perfect. So, I mean, there are a few people, like, like Michael Richards, that we walked in saying, well, we have to use Michael for, for Stanley Spadowski, and there were, you know, 98% of the other <laughs> people that, uh, that Kathy had put in front of us, and then we were given a, a wealth of choices and we, we you know we were able to find the people that we had in our heads when we were writing the script was it different from doing like a larger scale project like complete al i mean like the production of a, of a feature film really changed the dynamic of what you guys were doing well yeah i mean although it was still considered fairly low budget the budget was significantly bigger and better than that which we had for the complete al I just remember the first day on set, it was a little intimidating because, you know, we, we had written all these silly little <laughs> scenes, not thinking what it was going to be like when we were actually shooting the movie. And the first day on the set, we're doing Spatula City. And I just remember pulling up to where we're shooting the scene and there, there are just trucks and, 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 and uh, an army of people. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and they were just doing these silly scenes with spatulas, just ridiculous <laughs> things, but it, it required hundreds and hundreds of people and, you know, all this equipment. And I, I, I remember uh, Orion Pictures was a little, little freaked out because we, we shot Spatula City first. So the very first daily they got was just people holding up spatulas admiringly. <laughs> the whole first day of daily was people looking at spatulas. And Orion was like, what did we just get ourselves into? <laughs> That's perfect. Well, of course, the film famously bombed and then became a huge cult classic, and now we're celebrating 25 years. It's coming out on Blu-ray. It already had a, a pretty fat-packed DVD special edition. What's new for the Blu-ray? Well, not much. I mean, they've included, I think, everything that was on the DVD. And the only new thing, I think, is, is the, uh, the panel that I, I just did at Comic-Con this year, uh, which Jonah Ray moderated. Uh, it's, it's a nice feature. So it's an hour long, and it's me basically talking about UHF and talking about sort of an overview of my career. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And Jonah's an old friend, and he, he was great. And um, that's sort of the only new thing. I kind of felt like I said everything I possibly had to say on the commentary track uh, originally. So I, I figured that, you know, I, I didn't need to rehash all that again. And then, of course, the other thing that, um, in terms of content, there's this nice thing that they did for this release, which was a new cover, a new cover art. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was great. Yeah, yeah, it looks really good, as opposed to many, many re-release covers, which do not. It's not exactly a film that people would be like, how, how's the, you know, what was the restoration process like? But, I mean, how does it look? Does the Blu-ray look, you know, gorgeous? Or does it make the sets look more like, you know, sets? <laughs> um, I... I, I think it looks good. I mean, Jay, you could probably speak to that better. And I've been seeing it in HD for uh, a little bit of time. It's been available in HD on iTunes for a while. Okay. But uh, you don't really appreciate Wheel of Fish until you see it in HD. <laughs> you can smell it then, huh? Yes. <laughs> it's more of a visceral experience. What about the complete ally? I haven't seen listings of whether or not there's any features or anything added to it. They haven't run anything by us, so I, I don't know exactly what you know on that what package. Was, you know what they did run by us, um, and it was just such a kind of a no-brainer, a no I guess, is I believe 
that the trailer that CBS Fox did was something they found and also... Wow, I don't, I don't remember, remember that. Yeah, I think so. Well, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> Special enough to have it out on home video after, I'm not even really sure how many years, but decades, perhaps, since it's been available. Oh, yeah, I mean, that, that was about the same time. Well, that, was, that was 85, right? Yeah. I've got the Laserdisc, <laughs> and it was out on VHS for a long time, but it's long out of print, so it's, it's one of those kind of things where... Uh, it's a bit of a holy grail for some hardcore fans, but the, you know, and the and completists. I don't know if that's going to be any kind of uh, huge seller, but the people that are going to pick it up are going to be very happy about it. <laughs> yeah, I've actually I've seen some clips online, but I've actually never seen it. I've, that copy has never been in my hand, so this is actually pretty big for me. I'm excited. Oh, good. It, it's fun. I mean, it, it's uh, you know, I think it's eight music videos wrapped around the the bogus account of my life story, and. Uh, <laughs> It, I mean, it, it feels, you know, like kind of for me, it's like looking at old baby pictures because it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's much different than I would be doing now. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's got a certain amount of charm because it's a product of its era. I know you guys have been plagued with questions about will there be a follow up to UHF for years and years. Now that you're free of the record label shackles, is, has that changed the equation at all? Have you guys been thinking about narrative pieces? I don't think the record label has ever kind of stood in the way of me doing a, a sequel to UHF. It's more that I just kind of felt like that wouldn't be the uh, the best way for us to go at this point. I, I don't think the movie studios are, are really in the habit of doing sequels to movies that bombed 20, 25 years ago. And I know there's a lot of love for the movie, and I, I certainly love it as well, but I, I just kind of feel like it would behoove us to not just revisit that and to move on and, and do something new. So, um, I mean, if a major motion picture studio came to me begging... <laughs> to do a sequel to UHF, I certainly have to consider it, but it, it wouldn't be my first choice. I'm probably not Jay's either. Yeah, probably not. I mean, a lot of the feeling about it is that it kind of lives in this sort of special bubble, you know? It was, it was a, just a kind of a, in its own way, was kind of a perfect moment. There's a lot of uh, nostalgia wrapped around it now. I mean, it's had a long time to uh, acquire fans, and everybody's got their own particular memories of it. And when something reaches that kind of cult status, a sequel will never live up to expectations, no matter how good it is. It's always like, yeah, but that wasn't UHF. So there's that as well. It's like, you know, if we start with something fresh, uh, there wouldn't be all these expectations wrapped up with it. I'm inclined to agree, actually. I think mostly it would be really cool to see you guys doing something with film again, no matter what the plot is. It doesn't need to be referential to, uh, to a fan favorite. And you know what, to mollify fans, I, we, we did a lot of things uh, with my Saturday morning show, The Weird Al Show in the 90s, to kind of give people a taste, while not doing a sequel, but I, I used Getty Watanabe doing a character fairly similar to his character in UHF. We used Kevin McCarthy. You know, we did a lot of the same casting we had in UHF, just to kind of give people a taste <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> without doing a full-on sequel. Is Weird Al Show, I know it had a DVD release, but is it currently available still, or is that out of print? Yeah, in fact, Shad Factory put that out as well. So they put that out, uh, I forget when that came out, but they, uh, yeah, Shad Factory's been very kind to my catalog. They make sure that uh, everything's available. That's great. Closing with it with a very peculiar question, what are you guys' thoughts on the softcore porn rendition of UHF that uh, was unveiled for the 25th anniversary? <laughs> uh, I'm bemused by it, you know? I, I, I did check it out online. I, Jay, I don't know if you have or not. Yeah, I did. I couldn't help it. <laughs> I mean, how can you not? Uh, it's uh, yeah. I I don't know what to say about that other than well, that you know, when you get big enough, eventually somebody's going to do a porn version. That's that's just how life works. I think it's a fair way to gauge success. Yeah, <laughs> something we always strive for, actually. Yeah, yeah. Every time Jay and I make a decision, we think, but how's it going to work in porn? <laughs> Let me be your heart. 
bringing it back to nerdy show with porn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like the irony of like he's a spoof artist and now he's gotten spoofed. He's like, I'm big enough to get spoofed <laughs> by porn. And people are like, I'm big enough to get spoofed by Weird Al. The circle of life. <laughs> the only thing bigger than Weird Al is porn. <laughs> that is true. This interview is going to be also syndicated on Consequence of Sound. So if you'd like to read a text version of it, it'll be there and we'll link to it on this episode's page. So I actually did have a chance to check out the Complete Al since then. They really stepped it up with UHF. The pacing was stronger, but it's an important stepping stone in, uh, in all that. And there's some great gags. In fact, because communication between fans was so limited. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even though people watching the film knew it was a comedy, knew it was a mockumentary, it still had enough actual truth in it about Al's origins that uh, it did spread some misinformation. Like, people did honestly believe that he was born in an elevator. <laughs> Symbolizing his rise to the top. As soon as I found file-sharing servers, I went on a hunt looking for any shred of the Me, Myself, and I album. For real? For real. Because <laughs> it was just this vague memory from my childhood that I saw in Cinemax. I didn't know it was all fake. Oh, man. That's <laughs> That's so good. I love Lost Albums. Why wouldn't I? I know. I know. I... <laughs> <laughs> we also uh, checked out the uh, the Blu-ray, and the, the new cover is great. And in fact, it's, uh, it's actually pretty cool. It's double-sided. So if you want to have the, the classic UHF poster, which is a great classic poster, you can just flip over the new one and have the old one. Good to go. Fancy. And of course, since both of those are basically out now, if you want to pre-order them or order them, you can do that via Nerdy Show's Amazon links. Just head to this episode's page, and if you click through the links to pick them up, then uh, we will get a portion of the profits, which is cool. So the special features are a trailer? On Complete Owl, there's actually two trailers. There's a regular trailer and an extended trailer. That's all there is. There's really nothing more to add to yeah. the Complete Owl. I would like them to extend the Complete Owl to the Owl Anthology, sort of like the Beatles <laughs> Anthology. Yeah, yeah, they should uh, get get more interviews, bring it all in. Lots of outtakes of failed parodies, like, you know, he's doing Live and Let Die, but it's chicken pot pie, and then he has an argument in the studio with Bermuda Schwartz. <laughs> that would be awesome. If anything, just to have, like, a couple moments of professionally recorded chicken pot pie. Right. <laughs> if Paul would let that happen. I don't think he would, but, you know, whenever uh, he asked Paul McCartney famously for permission, hey, can I do Live and Let Die as Chicken Pot Pie? He said, no, I don't want any of my songs promoting the eating of flesh. And then he asked Al, like, well, how can you go and perform at chili cook-offs even though you're a vegetarian? And he was like, same way I can perform at colleges even though I'm not a student. Same way I can hand you an aspirin even though I don't have a headache. It's just the <laughs> act. Hats off to Al for that, right? Yeah. Now, of course, for longtime fans of Al, there was there was a margin of time where asking if there would be a UHF sequel made sense. We've since gone long past that, probably. But uh, I'm sure we all had some ideas about uh, what such a film could entail. I know for a fact that, Mark, you, you've put some thought into this. It's true. And when we were all clamoring around, say, you know, we are now Usenet boards, 
I vaguely remembered that someone had brought up an idea for a UHF sequel, but I've since searched long and hard and I can find no trace of it. Therefore, I'm forced to believe that I simply saw that someone brought up the title and that I ran with it in my head and made up the <laughs> ultimate sequel to UHF that would be the only, yes, the only proper sequel to UHF. All right, so everybody, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the end of UHF, as we all know, they're raising money to save U-62, they hit the amount of money they have to make at the very last moment, and everyone's happy. Movie ends, right? But the sequel opens right after that, as they're counting the money, and they go, oh, we're $3 short. Crap, we lost the station. What do we do now? And then Bob and Al go to another party being thrown by Al's uncle, and he's gambling, and he wins the deed to a video store. <laughs> Unfolds in the exact same way, except now Bob and Al, or I'm sorry, George, <laughs> have been bequeathed the deed to a VHS store. They just don't have the money to actually put anything on the shelves, so they use the old U62 library to rent out to people. They literally pepper the sequel with 80% recycled footage making fun of sequels the movie would be called vhs <laughs> noodles macintosh would be there the entire time you just wouldn't be able to see him behind the counter and of course stanley spadowski would be there as the faithful janitor something I, you couldn't do now of course uh, you, you mean because because <laughs> now you simply can't hire michael richards you just can't hire <laughs> michael richards but that's my idea i mean wouldn't that have been the perfect world sequel direct-to-video version of the uhf2 that we all wanted i feel like <laughs> conceptually yes absolutely i think that it would much like uhf confuse people it would have trouble finding its audience and then people would realize would get it they'd get it they get it years later just like they got it years later with uhf it would basically improve on the formula of Airplane 2. It would say, right. let's just stop pretending that any of these jokes are new. We're giving you the exact same movie. It has a slightly different title, and we were on a set for a day. <laughs> but hey, enjoy this promotional t-shirt. Now, is that the idea that uh, that came to you as a young Usenet user prior to Be Kind Rewind existence? Oh, mu yeah. much. Uh, I was actually mad when I saw the, uh, the, the trailer to Be Kind Rewind. I'm like, they could have done it! That could have been UHF 2! It can be your headcanon, Mark. It is my headcanon. Thank you, Jonna. Thanks for that reassurance that I don't waste my time thinking about this kind of thing. As all said in the interview, the next real big video project outside of the music videos was... The Weird Al Show, which at the time I was in high school when that happened and I had a hard time. I wanted to watch it because I was an active Al fan. I was on the website Alaholics Anonymous and I had trouble seeing the show. I caught it once and was actually a bit let down. I felt like, oh man, this it's not hooking me. Maybe this is just made too much for kids that I, as a high schooler, can't really, it's not for me. That was, that was all I saw of it until very recently. Mark and I watched some, and uh, man, there were some really, really, really good parts in one episode that was just downright a good episode. And there were also other bad parts that you, you simply couldn't get away with now, like the, uh, the constant stunts for Harvey the Wonder Hamster, or, <laughs> well, let's just be fair, cultural sensitivity never ages well, no matter how hard you try, and there are some moments on the Weird Al show that just aren't going to transcend. Beyond that, though, you always get this air, and you can always tell when it's coming up, that the network has meddled in some way 
they want X amount of morality in the show. And every time Al has to present it in some way, he looks at the camera and gets very annoyed. Like, oh, look, <laughs> it's Bobby the Inquisitive Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Bobby the Inquisitive Boy is a child that runs in and just asks a bunch of questions that he has to have answers to right now. And this was his way, almost certainly, of satiating the network who wanted it to be Pee-wee's Playhouse, but educational and low rent and ultimately harmless. I think Al, if he'd had his druthers, would have made it a little bit more edgy. With the hamster gags, it definitely feels plenty edgy right now. <laughs> I mean, they're great. They're hilarious. Like, when Harvey starts choking on peanut butter pizza and Al has to squeeze him and all his peanut butter vomits all over the inquisitive boy's face, <laughs> I mean, that's raw. But putting it on a show that was geared towards kids that age, you might actually squeeze the guts out of a hamster. That's and that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good at all. <laughs> but very funny for an adult. Thank you. <laughs> and you've got the great minute-long parody of the Prodigy's Firestarter video, where it's Al with the uh, the famous <laughs> Prodigy haircut, and he's doing the dances and looks directly into the camera and sings, I've got a stupid haircut! A really <laughs> awful haircut! <laughs> there were gems in the show. <laughs> I gotta rewatch see that then. one. The guest stars on the show, though, you, you can't discount this. Every episode, you're going, really, that person? You've got Judy Tenuta. You've got a very young Patton Oswalt. You have a, well, of course, very young Hanson just showing up and performing. One episode, oh, the wow. Bare Naked Ladies wow. are there and playing. Man, big surprise for the one of the episodes Mark and I watched. There were some minors who come in, and they're, they're led by uh, Michael McKean. And then in the background, there's this big dude... And he is, in fact, the big man, Clarence Clemens of Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, there for no reason. He's so in the background of the miners, too. They never really focus on him much. So I never even had the chance to not recognize him. It was just, there's another miner they're barely showing. And then towards the end, he gets to sing one line and you're going, oh, that's definitely Clarence Clemens. How do you even script that episode and then make the call? Like, yeah, uh, Weird Al wants you to appear on his kid's show to sing one line. <laughs> By the way, you're going to be dressed as a minor. Maybe he was in the studio, kind of like Sting singing on I Want My MTV. Just like he was around, be like, hey, do you want to come do this thing? He was like, sure. Since we're talking about the visual aspects of Al, he had a long-running MTV special that would come on every single time he released an album. It would be anywhere between three hours to later in his career, maybe 30 minutes. I don't even know if he got one for Mandatory Fun. No, he did not. <laughs> but there was a special oh, called Al TV. And uh, Al TV was the gateway to underground music for a lot of kids who were tuning in just to watch Weird Al be wacky. But that's where all of the fake interviews that you may have seen Weird Al do online, say with Michael Stipe or Eminem, that's where they're sourced Those are from. so good. Yeah, Al TV <laughs> is now archived pretty much only on YouTube. However, The Complete Al does have a section based on Al TV and shows some of the best gags from the early Al TV that didn't involve him superimposing himself into a music video. Because that's more rights you gotta pay for. Can't have that. And of course, the, the interviews gag, something he's brought to basically all of his live shows for years and years now, and then turned into a, a series on The Nerdist. I think the Al TV box set, to put it out in its original form, and I mean, remember, this was the first time that a, not just a kid, but anyone was seeing a They Might Be Giants video before midnight on MTV in some cases. He would play mashup artists, plunder phonics artists like Steinsky and Mass Media. This was the first time that the Bare Naked Ladies were being shown on MTV in America. He trailblazed so much stuff, but to get the rights for all of this, a box set for 
LTV would be, number one, an unwieldy amount of discs, and secondly, it would be so expensive to produce, you could not possibly procure one for under $400. Mm. The best thing they could do would be to organize some kind of thing with YouTube where they have all the segments and they create a playlist where it can pop over to someone's Vivo channel or whatever, if such a thing even exists for the oddball artist that he's playing there at that point in time. But there's kind of no right way to do it. It was that moment in time and now it's gone, but it was beautiful. That was a brilliant idea, Cap. Why don't you write up that treatment? I want that to exist right now. <laughs> well, hopefully Alan Jay will listen to this episode and maybe, I don't know, they'll think that the amount of phone calls and hair pulling will be worth it to make that happen because I would love to spend hours and hours on end even sitting through YouTube commercials to watch a facsimile, a digital facsimile of Al TV throughout the years. Yes, I would. I think about it often in my undry dreams. <laughs> undry. <laughs> In our earlier episode with Weird Al this year, uh, we talked extensively about music videos. We shared some of our favorites. People have already heard me talk about it. They've already heard other members of the Nerdy Show crew talk about it. But uh, here we are. We got we got Mark. We got John. And we got Professor Shy Guy. Guys, if you can, if you could pick one, what's your ultimate Weird Al video? What's your favorite? Ooh. I know. I, I, love, I love Dare to be Stupid so much. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's just the one that's popping into my head right now. Fat was my favorite. Like, I have so many memories. Oh, I love that. that one, too. I remember being in the house and being, like, <laughs> where I was at that age, and that was a new video at that time or whatever. I think that overall, the one I have the most fun watching, I do love the historical nod in the Bob video, but I'm going to go with probably a controversial choice, which is living with a hernia. Living with a hernia wow. is so expertly timed to be funny and such an effortless parody of James Brown. And they make it so clear that it's not Al doing the moves in such just an in-your-face way that I may have to go with that. But I do have a soft spot for a joke that was introduced on a very recent video where uh, I was watching Lame Claim to Fame and I was going, this isn't really doing it for me and this isn't necessarily my favorite song on Mandatory Fun. But there's a lot of MC Lars references in this video. And it turns out that I hear through the grapevine, the director is pretty good friends with MC Lars. So it was his lame huh. claim to fame. Interesting. Huh. Meta. But living with a hernia is probably going to be my ultimate number one. I mean, isn't it weird that James Brown had a hit in the 1980s? Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> it so, is bizarre. <laughs> he was really at the mercy of what pop culture handed him. So the song was a hit, but it wasn't going to be terribly recognizable for kids, and kids weren't really going to get all the James Brown jokes. So it's something that I watched at the time and went, I like when Weird Al's on TV, but later on I got just how brilliant the video really was. <laughs> it was the gift that kept on giving. <laughs> is there anything that Al can't do besides make a successful feature film? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully someday, you know, a few years ago he, uh, he got greenlit to produce a kid's film and uh, he felt confident enough about it to announce it and the, uh, the project was shot down after it had already been greenlit. So uh, I remember that being a nuisance to him. Uh, I think we actually mentioned it the first time we interviewed him back when um, Alpocalypse came out. Hopefully he will create another feature or some kind of larger visual piece again. But now he's hit to the point where he's not going to talk about it until it's like practically in hand. With like, the massive success of his new album, I'm sure film's got to be involved somewhere. If that's what he wants to do, he can get it done. Yeah, pretty incredible, actually. I mean, if this episode is a sequel to our previous episode with Al, it, it should probably be mentioned that Mandatory Fun is his most successful album of all time. It just broke every record he had. I really like Mission Statement. 
I think Mission Statement would also be my favorite because Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young sounds like the most boring law firm in the world or the most boring marketing <laughs> firm. And then here he is going, okay, fine, let's have them present these once upon a time hippies with great ideals instead constantly talking about synergy and how to market a thing. Yeah. But it would be tied with Jackson Park Express because boy, did he nail Cat Stevens. He just <laughs> nailed his writing style. How weird is it that one of the most successful comedy albums of our lifetime closes with an eight-minute Cat Stevens parody, and somehow that record is relevant to children. <laughs> it feels good, Mark. It feels real good. <laughs> it's really subversive when you think about it. I gotta say that probably out of the whole record, um, Foil is my favorite video. It's a song that I don't feel starts particularly strong, but when it dips into reptilian conspiracies, that's where it really thrives, and I feel like the song was recorded just so he could make that video which i i really really enjoyed i think it's the best video as well so again uhf the blu-ray special edition and the complete al for the first time on dvd are out now and uh you should order them through the uh, nerdy show links on this episode page because nerdy show is listener supported and we rely on your funding be it buying via amazon or donating directly to continue this program all the programs we put out on the network and uh, Nerdy FM, our 24-7 nerd music radio station, where you can hear the dulcet tones of Mark with a C and Professor Shy Guy. Exclusively. That's it. That's all we play. <laughs> Just NPC and the acoustic version of Hans shot first, over and over. <laughs> we recently launched a Nerdy Show Patreon, so now if you want to, you can subscribe to the network monthly and get all kinds of perks. Now, it's always been true that if you donate even a dollar, we'll send you tons and tons of outtakes, artwork, and other exclusive stuff. In fact, I tell you what, I was up till 3 a.m. after like a five-hour-plus session uploading all of it last night. There's a lot of stuff there. There's like 80 individual items and hundreds of hours of hilarious audio, including like weird fan fiction readings and a collaborative read of some uh, excerpts from Fifty Shades of Grey that uh, that you, you simply must hear. So even even a dollar a month and you can check all that out. That Star Trek fanfic is in there, isn't it? Yes, it is, Jonna. That, that's, uh, that Star Trek oh Voyager no. fanfic is in there. No. <laughs> <laughs> And if you want to find out what makes Jonna so uncomfortable, then, then all you have to do is donate a dollar. <laughs> if you just want to do a one-time donation, that's cool. Just head to nerdyshow.com slash support. You can still do one-time donations. But if you want to go to Patreon, we're patreon.com slash nerdyshow. And there's links all over nerdyshow.com. One of the things that happens when you donate is we give a shout out to you at your first donation. So uh, let this denote that these awesome people have helped Nerdy Show work towards our first milestone of making sure that the network has monthly funding guaranteed. That's $400 a month. Thanks to Sean Lalor, Temsu, Michael Rodriguez, Jonathan Kartner, Sebastian Schlingman, Starf, Garrier, David Van Pelt, Abiz, Barry I, and uh, because she's extremely generous, our very own Jessica Ullman wow. is, is contributing as well. Apparently Aww. that can happen. So there's all kinds of uh, perks available on there, including the ability to uh, do a Google Hangout with us once a month for an hour every single month. We'll talk about what you want to talk about. We'll rub elbows. We'll have secret guests come on from all across the network. And uh, also the ability to decide what we talk about for 15 minutes in a microsode. Or you could uh, get the chance to create 30 minutes of programming on Nerdy FM. As long as we have the rights to play the artist. <laughs> That's right. But we have an extensive <laughs> library of hundreds of artists 
It's kind of ridiculous. Chiptune artists that don't even remember that they were once chiptune artists. We have permission. <laughs> it's it's insane. If you've never tuned in to Nerdy FM, I mean, we do have a block of, shall we say, things that we keep in heavy rotation. But these are uh, these are definitely specially curated playlists to sort of fit a mood for a day quite often. And uh, you can hear everything from, you know, local nerd rock heroes like Cyphride all the way back to some of the root artists like Buckner and Garcia. We have the rights to play all the Buckner and Garcia we want. Get your centipede fix. We got it. <laughs> so that's at nerdy.fm. And if you want to uh, make your own playlist of 30 minutes of sponsored by you, then that can happen. Just head over to patreon.com slash nerdy show. Take a look at all of our different reward tiers. And uh, if you want to support the network, if you want to make Nerdy Show possible, please join in. Taking us out, well, we got a Weird Al cover. A couple years ago, some hardcore Weird Al fanatics, you might actually know them from the nerd music scene, Odd Austin and Jace of Nuclear Bubble Rap, jumped through all the legal loopholes to put together an above-board tribute to Weird Al Yankovic called 26 and a Half. It's got artists like MC Frontalot, MC Lars, MC Chris shows up on that sucker for a little while. You'll hear Shale Riley in the Double Ice Backfire, me, and this next artist, Insane Ian. And he does a track from Weird Al's second album, a track that can only really be described as a sleeper hit, but man, this is a killer rendition. He does That Boy Could Dance. Is the B-side to eat it for those that really want too much information. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. So check out this track. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Mark with a C. Bye, I'm Jonna. Bye, I'm Professor Shy Guy. Here's Insane Ian. Thanks so much for listening.
could be just like him, like him, like him. Cause that boy could dance. Oh, hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Well, I've got some sexy secret things to tell you. Uh, not really too secret. I do say them at the end of every episode. But if you liked what you heard, it is imperative that you follow my every word. First, I want to thank you for listening to Nerdy Show. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows in the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, shopping at nerdyshow.com store, or, most importantly, by directly donating to the network. Any size contribution gets you exclusive nerdy show outtakes, dramatic readings, images, and other crazy stuff and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. But if you really want to level up, find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other nerdy show programming. Just visit nerdyshow.com sponsorships. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes store. And for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. So to recap, tell a friend, donate to the show, and connect with the entire Nerdy Show network crew online. We're glad to be your home for authentic nerdy entertainment.